Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. You're listening to Talking Biotech, the weekly podcast illuminating issues in agriculture and medical biotechnology. Your questions and concerns are answered using a science-based approach with the goal of driving innovation to application with communication. Now here's your host, Dr. Paul Vincelli. Welcome to Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. My name is Paul Vincelli. I'm sitting in for Kevin Folta, and thanks to Dr. Folta for the opportunity to uh, record today's session. And today we'll be talking about uh, various topics, but particularly uh, an online um, resource that is uh, an excellent way to uh, teach people about genetic engineering. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Uh, Don Lee who is a professor at uh, the University of, of Nebraska in Lincoln. And um, we're here to learn about his program. So th- welcome, Don. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for the invitation, Paul. Appreciate it. So, Don, let's, uh, if you don't mind, starting with a uh, – I notice you're involved in uh, the three pillars of – the uh, the land grant mission you you have uh, research activities you are active in extension and then there's a substantial amount of your time spent in teaching it appears so why don't you tell the listeners uh, something about your various professional activities to to get to know you better sure okay I I uh, started work at the University of Nebraska in 1989 and I can't even count how many years ago that is now but. But I got hired to, really to, to be a genetics teacher within the College of Ag and Natural Resources. So, that, so teaching has always been the primary job I, I am paid to do by the taxpayers of Nebraska. And uh, I had learned about DNA-based uh, genetics research as a, as a graduate student and as a postdoc. So I, uh, my research at that time was focused on learning more about the genetic makeup of, of crop plants using DNA techniques and then about the mid-90s is when transgenic crops first became something farmers had to make decisions on and grow. And my colleagues in, ex- in Extension said, we need a genetics teacher, Don, to partner up with us. And uh, it was fun because a lot of folks were much more interested in genetics, the topic I was hired to teach, 
uh, all around the state and all around the region. So, so that's when my program really kind of became uh, the three pillars, as you refer to them, uh, mm. teaching, extension, and research. And since then, my research has, I've moved away from the discovery laboratory working with DNA, and mm. now my research is all focused on educational resource uh, development and how well those resources might work in the hands of learners and teachers. Great, great. Yeah. Well, actually, I, you know, I'm relatively new to sophisticated genetics. Um, I started uh, developing outreach programs on on uh, genetic engineering uh, about two and a half years ago, and I have really come to appreciate uh, geneticists and the science of genetics greatly as I've studied, um, you know, various many 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 research papers and other resources. So, uh, so really, hats off to you for for uh, for your career. So the the um, the program that um, that really is kind of the feature for today's uh, program is is the uh, journey of a gene, and I, I would just like to say that w- we in Kentucky at the University of Kentucky have experience with journey of a gene. Uh, a colleague of mine that you know very well, Dr. Carl Bradley, uh, here at the University of Kentucky, and I put together a. Um, program, a county agent training program using Journey of a Gene, and that, that was the central piece of this um, training that took the better part of a day. I think it was four or five hours, something like that. And we had outstanding um, uh, responses from the agents. They really uh, appreciated the uh, what they learned. So, for example, a question was, uh, or a statement in the evaluation was, the GMO in-service training increased my knowledge and understanding of GMOs. And all the, everybody answered uh, agree or, or strongly agree. So it's a really, really excellent program. So uh, anyway, uh, why don't, Don, why don't you describe Journey of a Gene for, listener, for our listeners today? Well, Journey of a Gene was a, was a chance to take really uh, support from from everybody. Uh, uh, t- everybody who pays taxes to the federal government uh, uh, contributed to Journey of a Gene because the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, a USDA program, uh, funded uh, a, a collective research extension and education program, and we were a part of that. And what we wanted to do is, is take advantage of, of new technologies for delivering information Everybody's carrying around a smartphone now, and we wanted to, to take resources that we had developed and other folks had developed and consolidate them into a learning environment that you could view through your smartphone. And it would, in a fairly concise way, tell the story of the journey of a gene in this case, how uh, geneticists have discovered genes that could help a soybean plant uh, overcome a very important disease in soybeans called sudden death syndrome. And we, with the funding, we were able to hire a, a graduate student, Grace Troop, and Grace put her creative work uh, uh, focused on the development of this uh, resource. We had to get some software developed so that, so that it, it uh, delivered well in, in an easy-to-navigate format. And students could, could view it from a, a tablet, a laptop, or from their smartphones. And, and because we had a young, technically savvy graduate student uh, in charge, it, it turned out to work pretty well for us. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's an interactive multimedia um, uh, web resource. And uh, when we did it, the, the training, actually, it was quite easy. Uh, we, we, we brought them in. We uh, set them down in front of computers. And uh, now, again, I'm talking about county agents. Um, and, uh, we you know, we, we just basically let them take, you know, the, the various um, modules within the journey of a gene um program and then answered questions as you know we would come to a certain point and where everybody would stop and we would just answer questions and it was remarkably easy and remarkably effective um for our our participants um so so as a plant pathologist i'm interested in the fact that you um chose uh you know soybean disease uh, as the focus of uh journey of a gene what was what was uh, sort of the history behind that how did you end up choosing um, sudden death syndrome well the the uh, short answer is the the research support from uh, USDA NEFA uh, they wanted to focus on on uh, diseases in our major crop plants and and so the research part of that program was supporting discovery uh, that could lead to better breeding for disease resistance or transgenic or genetic engineering approaches. So, so we wanted to tell the story of the research that was being supported by this, this project. But another reason why this is a good example is because of the, the genetics discovery that plant pathologists have been able to make over the last decade. As you think about microorganisms that cause disease and how they go about causing disease, uh, the geneticists have have identified what those specific genes are that the microbe possesses or the plant possesses that allow them to interact in this very precise way. And if you know that, then you can use a very focused genetic engineering strategy to try to disrupt that pathogenic relationship between the, the microorganism and the plant. So that discovery was there, uh, and you could then take advantage of that to do a genetic engineering approach. It, you know, in a lot of ways, it's very parallel to how we're making discoveries about diseases in, in humans. If you understand the very specific genes that are involved in, in cancer development, for example, that gives the scientists the clues they need and the strategies that they need to come up with much more precise ways of battling that problem. So on the, in the food production world, I think we're in a position where we could use a lot of this knowledge now with a genetic engineering strategy to overcome some of these devastating diseases that can actually ruin an entire crop and, and compromise food security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so I'm curious. I know I've done the gone through this training, but it's been a while. So remind me, what is reminder or let our listeners know what is the trait that is actually used that that is being modeled in this? Um, you know, in the, I, I can't help but you know being a nerd here, and I wanted a re- reminder. What is the genetic trait that's being inserted into soybeans in this? In this. Um, All right. Yeah. Good yeah. question. So so sudden death syndrome. Is, is caused by a microorganism that lives in the, in the soil. And soybean plants, there are no soybean plants that, that have been discovered that can use a single gene to help them overcome the invasion of this pathogen. 
But one of the discoveries that that uh, uh, the scientists uh, have made is that there are genes from other plants, model plants like Arabidopsis, that aren't hosts for this pathogen. And if you use the genes that they have, they encode proteins that can help the plant, the in this case the soybean plant, overcome the disease. So the gene has to take a journey from the uh, one species of plant and be and then just that single gene transferred to the soybean uh, genome. And that single gene shows promise in overcoming the effects of this disease. So, so breeders have been working on this trait and continue to work on this trait. But the only way they make success is if they try to follow 10 or 20 genes at a time uh, mm-hmm. in their crosses between soybean plants. And that's very difficult work and, and, and very difficult to make progress with. Genetic engineering gives you the opportunity to try to use single genes to, in this case, uh, create resistant versions of the soybean plant. And you're transferring the gene from one type of plant to a different type of plant. Mm-hmm. So are they, is it an R gene or uh, something equivalent, which you know, is, acts as a receptor for, uh, to recognize invasion, or is it some other me- mechanism? Yeah, it, it would be very similar to that mechanism. It's, it's, uh, it's a, the gene would encode a protein. The protein okay. helps the plant recognize that there is a pathogen living with it, and then the gene will trigger uh, a number of responses that the, the plant's uh, able to mount on its own with the genes that it has. But it has to first of all recognize that this organism isn't a friendly organism. This organism is is biologically programmed to cause disease, and I'm the victim if I don't recognize that. Yeah, that's a great description. I like that. Yeah, I might use that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so who's been using Journey of a Gene? It's clearly uh, useful for county extension agents, but uh, but uh, the audience that's using it is is uh, wider than that, I'm sure. Yeah. So we decided to to kind of approach the education end of this and and use an audience that we knew was motivated to to give Journey of a Gene a try, and that would be the uh, ag science teachers that that you find throughout different school districts, both in urban uh, areas, but more, more in rural areas, where there's an ag science program within the high school or the middle school. Uh, those uh, faculty have more flexibility in their curriculum. They get to choose what science they're going to teach. And they also have, have uh, a contest uh, component of their, of their year through uh, what's called FFA. Used to be referred to as Future Farmers of America. Now FFA just kind of stands for uh, uh, learning more about the application of science and technology in agriculture. And so we actually created a biotechnology contest at Nebraska, and now the same contest is being used in several other states, such as Iowa and and Missouri. And, And the journey of a gene... Uh, can be used as a way to train your students so that they're ready for this biotechnology contest. And so that's been our initial group of, of teacher and student users at the high school level. 
And so we probably have about four or five states uh, that are that have been using that now for several years. And now, of course, we're trying to expand to the larger number of biology teachers. Uh, and we can see that because we're distributing this uh, on the Internet, it's a free resource, uh, we're starting to see teachers I, uh, identify it as something that they could integrate. It's classroom-ready, as you described, and they can integrate it into their their science learning programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I th- it's uh, certainly understandable that ag science teachers would, would have an interest. I, I personally have a sort of a passion around getting in front of uh, urban audiences as well to talk about the topic because, you know, because there, there, there are a lot of people in, in urban regions of the U.S. that care about um, our food system and and uh, they're often interested to know more about what genetic engineering actually means. And so uh, do, you, do you see opportunities uh, there as well for, for your 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 program yeah that's that's uh that's our target to give to to just let teachers who who are you know from an urban environment themselves no don't know that much about you know agricultural systems uh know a lot about the science but don't know how the different uh, science components that they teach are actually put together to uh create genetically engineered crops that's kind of a an understanding that we we discovered was lacking, uh, not only amongst uh, uh, ag science teachers, but also amongst uh, uh, biology teachers in general. They may not have uh, really learned about how different kinds of of basic biology principles are integrated. A, as science transitions to technology to either solve disease problems in, in humans or, in this case, disease problems in plants. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it kind of puts it all together in more mm-hmm. of a curricular approach. Uh, you've been teaching your students how gene expression works, how genes encode proteins. Here you can learn how the geneticist can, can take that understanding, make copies of a gene, and actually introduce a copy of of the gene that they design into uh, a living cell and then have a whole organism now contain this new gene, this one new gene, but this gene can control a very important trait. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's got some good biology built into the, to the program. So, uh, and with that, we'll take a short break. We're talking to Dr. Don Lee, from a professor from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And when we come back, we'll continue talking about Journey of a Gene and its usefulness in educating um, the public about the, the nuts and bolts of genetic engineering. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. What can you do to help spread the science through Talking Biotech? Our goal is to advance discovery to application through communication, ensuring the best technology is able to benefit the farmers, consumers, the environment, and the needy. The Talking Biotech Podcast is 100% funded by the Kevin Fulta Family Vacation Fund, and no contributions or advertisers will be solicited or accepted. What you can do is kindly take a few minutes and write a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or scratch TalkingBiotechPodcast.com into a bathroom stall at Chipotle. If you have questions, 
please send them to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com or post them on Twitter with the hashtag TalkingBiotech. A podcast dedicated to these issues is long overdue, and your simple assistance will allow us to reach a wider audience with the important information about biotechnology and the future of food. My name is Chelsea Boonstra, and welcome to the Boonstra Report, where we talk about all things agriculture. The Public Research and Regulation Initiative and Europe Bio organized a seminar entitled Unshackling Innovation, Will Europe Block or Enable GM Crops? At the European Parliament in Brussels, Belgium, on September 27, 2016, to discuss concerns on genetically modified crops. Some members who spoke called for GM crops to be adopted in the light of climate change, growing population, and the need for sustainable agriculture practice with minimum environmental footprints. Speakers shared similar views that innovation in agriculture, especially GM technology and new breeding technologies, should be part of the breeder's toolkit. They also stated that activism against GM crops is a crime against humanity, which is not supported by sound science. The speakers also said that Europe should show leadership for developing countries in embracing GM technology and MBTs in agriculture and address challenges in agriculture including aging farming communities, food insecurity in many countries, and climate change. Thanks for listening and be sure to follow Forever Farm Girl on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and WordPress.com. Thank you. And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast with Dr. Don Lee from the University of Nebraska. And uh, he's a professor there and very involved in education on um, genetics, including genetic engineering. So, Don, uh, it's again, uh, I've, I've been very uh, uh, impressed with the utility of Journey of a Gene. What's, what is different about Journey of a Gene that can make a difference for science teachers and learners? Okay, I, I think the, the, the three items that, that make a difference is one we've already referred to, that it's packaged and put together so students could access it from their smartphone. And, and so a, a teacher could say, i got a little homework assignment for you. Uh, go to this website and view these videos and take this quiz. So we've, we've uh, uh, kind of taken the... the, the the power of the smartphone that's in the hands of a lot of students now and and taking advantage of that. So packaging it in, into this learning environment would be one difference. The other difference is that is that we we feature the individual scientists that are making the discoveries and then taking advantage of those discoveries in the process of creating these genetically engineered soybean plants. And and so we start with talking about the farmer and the plant pathologist that works with the farmer and the, and the problem that they have when this disease emerges in their fields. We meet the, the scientist, Madan, who actually has the team that's discovering these, these genes. We meet Shirley, who's, who's the scientist that actually uh, does the transformation or the gene introduction into the soybean cells. And then we meet uh, the plant breeder, who's actually taking these plants that have this new transgene and crossing them with varieties that, that uh, farmers currently grow to make better varieties for, uh, for farmers to grow down the road. And then we meet a DNA testing expert uh, whose job it is to, to very 
carefully follow the genetic makeup of these plants, make sure that they're selecting plants that, that have the gene and, and can move the progress of this technology along. So by meeting the scientists, the students get a good idea of, of where these scientists do their work, who these scientists are, and how they all have to work together before we, we accomplish the final goal, in this case of having better types of soybean plants for farmers to grow that, that can withstand this disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've seen sudden, uh, sudden death syndrome in the field, and it's, uh, it'll, it'll take your breath away, you know, under a severe outbreak. And so, um, see, I, I, and actually I want to affirm this, this idea that you've described of featuring the scientists involved in the work. That, that's really quite important, I've learned, because, because what, um, no matter where one stands on genetic engineering and its role in food security and environmental protection, I, I, I think it's important that we humanize genetic engineering so that we people understand that, it, that it's just people, you know, people with a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge, but just people trying to do the best job they can to, you know, make contributions to society. And so I really like that. I want to uh, note the importance of, of what you described. I think that's real important for, for the young learner as well because they're trying to envision what they're going to do when they grow up and become a professional. And so this gives them an idea of if you like science, if you're excited by what you're learning in your science class or when you watch Discovery on TV, uh, there's a lot of, of, of uh, potential ways you can make a difference uh, uh, as a scientist. Yeah. And, and, and let me editorialize a, a little bit too on that point that's a, a very important point and i've been very impressed as i say i come to genetic engineering as an outsider i've never transformed a plant i've never done genetic engineering of any plant and i am just um, really impressed with um, the wealth of opportunities that molecular genetics provides present day for merely for disease control even if we don't we don't even think about other um, applications we can do so much um, to uh, improve our crops and to reduce pesticide use um, with uh, with the, with the, with the array of strategies that have been developed for genetic engineering so uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited yeah so um, what uh, what have you learned so far based on uh, student use as well as teacher use uh, of Journey of a Gene? Good. Yeah, you know, one thing we learned, Paul, I almost hate to admit it as a plant scientist, but one thing the teachers told us is that their students get a little bit more excited about learning biology when you use animal examples compared to plant examples. So so uh, part of our, our, our grant process was to make improvements and and take what we've learned and, and make things even better. So we created another version of Journey of a Gene, and it's called EnviroPig. And that name sounds a, a little uh, different, but actually it was a name that uh, was already out there. If you Google EnviroPig, that word, you'll discover that there was a group of researchers uh, that that had this idea, they, they were working at the a university in, in Canada, had this idea that they could genetically improve the pigs so that they excreted less phosphorus in their manure and therefore were, uh, were producing manure that wouldn't have the, the phosphorus pollution potential that, 
that we currently have in our animal production systems, if they could introduce a gene into the pig that encoded an enzyme that helped the animal better digest and utilize the phosphorus that was in the grain. So they took that idea and with funding from uh, pig producers actually were successful in creating transgenic pigs that had much lower phosphorus levels in their manure. And these pigs contained a one additional gene that originated from a microorganism that allowed them to start digesting these phosphorus-containing compounds and actually use the phosphorus uh, for their own nutritional needs. And, and it, it was very successful scientifically. And so that's the story that we tell in, uh, in this other alternative. So if you, if you had the journey of a gene up and just uh, changed the last part of the address to EnviroPig, uh, you would see this app. And so we're actually using this as well in, with both high school uh, teachers as well as in my college teaching. And it works very well, especially when students are a little more interested in animal biology than they are in plant biology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so the, the, the concept here is that the pig um, gets a lot more of the phosphorus that's present in the feed and therefore less goes, much less goes into the water and helping to preserve water quality, basically. Yeah. Is, that, is that a good summary? That's a good summary. You know, the, and it, what was interesting for me, at least as a teacher, about this story is, number one, it was all well documented. Uh, they, the, the scientists that did the work uh, published the results of their research in, in peer-reviewed journals so the whole world could see the science that went into the development of this product. So scientifically, it worked very well, but it was never commercialized. Never commercialized. And, and you can probably guess the reason why. The, there were too many opposition groups that, that uh, rallied against the use of transgenic approaches to change the genetic makeup of a food animal and and uh, the only way for anything to be commercialized both in in Canada and in this country is that these technologies have to undergo the scrutiny of our regulatory agencies that's very expensive uh, to pr to present to the regulatory agencies the data that they want to look at to make sure that these products are safe to grow and safe to eat and and when the opposition looked like it was it was going to prevent the the ability for them to to uh, have the regulatory agencies approve this product they just decided it was they couldn't uh, overcome that that uh, opposition and so it was never commercialized uh, even though it was demonstrated to be a very sound scientific approach to genetically changing the animal so it was more environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my understanding is uh, there are many, many such projects in the plant world, crop world, that are basically sitting on the shelf to, uh, you know, not not commercialized or not being developed. So, uh, yeah. so it'll be an interesting, you know, few decades to see where, where this, uh, you know, where these technologies go. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the reasons why within, within the uh, the learning environment, there's an area called risks and benefits. And so if a mm -hmm. learner or a teacher has their students click into that, okay. what, what we decided to do is, is to describe how food scientists actually test for the safety 
of, of a transgenic organism, whether it be a plant or an animal. And so that they can again see the role that scientists play in, in helping us determine, is this product going to be safe in our hands? Is it safe to eat? Could it be encoding an allergen? Uh, could, it, uh, could it be somehow uh, creating a situation where there's a toxin made? And there are very specific testing procedures that food scientists can use, and they do use, and those testing procedures have to be followed before these products meet regulatory approval. So we describe that process. We also describe then, uh, or we just let the, the, the folks that are for this technology and the folks that are against this technology have their say as well. Uh, we, we call it a two-sided argument. We just, we just uh, got permission to use uh, video resources, other, other websites uh, share, and, have the, and just uh, have it available for, for students or for learners to look at. And then they can decide, well, what's the nature of the argument that they're raising either for this technology or against it? Do, is that a supported argument? Do I agree with it? In the end, everyone's going to make their own decision. As a science teacher, we have the obligation to, to equip our, our students to, to understand the science and to make scientifically-based decisions based on the best understanding possible. So we wanted to include that risks and benefits uh, component to Journey of a Gene and Enviro Pig because we think that's a real important part of the educational process as well. Yeah, yeah, very good. And in fact, I I must say I I don't recall that part, so I'll have to go back and uh, you know click and make sure I've I've uh, seen that too. That's that's a that's a really important approach. Um, you know, even somebody like myself, I'm I'm you know I see significant potential to the technology, just like I see significant potential to my cell phone. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's technology that I see benefits to, um, but but I also. Um, spend really actually more time in my graduate course on genetic engineering i spend more time on risks evaluating risks and concerns than on benefits and uh, so i share your uh, your uh, the ethic that i think almost all public scientists share and maybe all that we're we're also we we also want to be sure what we're doing is is safe and uh we're going to look carefully at all the, the credible risks and so uh, that's great that you put that in i'll go back and and look at that. So, um, so what about uh, next projects? What, uh, what, where, where's your team going next? So, what we're currently working on is is a, a, a version of this that takes less time to go through for uh, the more the general public user. But in in addition to learning the science, we're teaming up with with social scientists. Who have, who have looked at what's the nature of the arguments that, that the opposition groups have and can we better understand how, if we're, if we're uh, proponents, you know, we agree with this technology, that we better understand the, the nature of, of why they're opposed to it. And, and you know, there, there are times where their opposition has elements of truth to that and we just need to... To uh, take that into account as we look at continuing to use this this technology in the future. One of the big uh, issues that opposition groups raise is is not so much the safety of the technology, but 
how we've used the technology, especially with the use of herbicide resistance uh, in our crop plants. Uh, it uh, was used to, to the point that uh, the wheat populations evolved resistance to, uh, to those herbicides that, that were being used uh, year after year. And as a result, the technology isn't as effective now as it was 20 years ago. Not very surprising uh, for a lot of weed scientists that things turned out this way. Kind of human nature, if something works well, you want to keep using it again and again. But we have to learn from our past mistakes. It's really, Paul, very similar to the antibiotic use uh, challenge that we have in public health. If we don't use antibiotics uh, in the right way, we can have problems with antibiotic-resistance microbes. Uh, we have very similar problems in agriculture if we don't use these technologies in the right way. Yeah. Well, boy, I, I do um, I do want to second that um, point you make about involving social scientists in this kind of work. They, they really have some great insights into how to broach... Th- controversial topics with the public. Uh, I've seen this both in genetic engineering and I've also done outreach on climate change. And once again, that, in fact, that's where, that is where I learned to appreciate, to appreciate social scientists. And, uh, and I, yeah, I affirm your point about, um, uh, you know, every, every, um, application of genetic engineering or any technology needs to be evaluated on a, on a case by case basis. And, um, so, uh, some of the problems that we've uh, seen with herbicide tolerance don't necessarily represent the full ar- array of possibilities or concerns with genetic engineering. So, um, yeah, very good points. And then um, I, I did want to ask you how you measure success with, um, you know, these educational resources that you're developing for biotechnology. Yeah, I, I think ultimately is is we want students, so we want learners to, to be able to say, I understand this, this science better than I did before. You know, I, I for example, one of my uh, students I worked with, she was in my genetics class, and she was a very uh, environmentally oriented uh, type of learner, and, and she said, you know, I'm really glad that, that we spent as much time learning about genetic engineering as we did in this class, because now I understand it better. She's mm-hmm. She, she's a vegetarian, you know, she, she hasn't changed her habits, but she mm-hmm. understands it better. And, and to me, that's, that's what we need to have, a, a more educated public and one that, that isn't afraid of learning science, that, that sees the, the fun and the interest in learning science. So, so the, the more this resource can be uh, useful in the hands of teachers and their students, then, then I think we'll start to increase uh, it, the scientific understanding uh, within within those learners, and that's that's the, the most important metric. Yeah, here, here. That's a, that's a great uh, great conclusion. So, uh, yeah, Don, uh, really appreciate your um, your participating in the in the podcast and uh, and. Uh, to the listeners, thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter with the handle at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen as your support allows us to deliver more exciting science to more people. 
I'm Paul Vincelli sitting in for Kevin Falta, and thank you for listening, and once again, thank you, Don. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Please send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review on iTunes and recommend this podcast to a friend. More downloads and reviews raise the visibility of this podcast and help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.